I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Well, HBO can keep trying to figure out who this mysterious Q figure is. But me, I'm just focused on figuring out the identity of our first Asian American female vice president. It's high noon for Monday, March 22nd, 2021. Follow the podcast on Gab and Parlor at I'm Your Moderator or go to the Telegram Messenger app. The link is t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. And if you want to join the discussion thread, just put in t.me slash I'm Reasonable. Also, if you'd like to check out the merch, go to www.cancelcotour.com. Today is the 61st full day of Barack Obama's third term as served by the half-dead, demented, degenerate, ventriloquist dummy, fake proxy president Joe Biden, who is overwhelmingly compromised by the Chinese Communist Party, the patriarch of one of the worst and most corrupt families in American history and the father of one of the world's most despicable sons. So congratulations, America. You protected us from insurrection. Well, it's Monday, everybody. And this weekend, we were greeted with the incredible news that Kamala Harris is now not the first black female fake vice president because that's so 2020. Now she's the first Asian American female fake vice president. That is amazing. The communists have decided that the magnum opus of communist propaganda is to convince America, finally, once and for all, that Asians are the subject of rampant hate crimes, as evidenced by a crime where six Asians and two white people were killed and had nothing to do with race whatsoever. But this weekend, there was a protest in support of the Uyghurs, the Muslim Uyghurs, who are two million of them, or more probably now, are in concentration camps in Western China. You know, that country that Joe Biden is overwhelmingly compromised by. And so there was a, a protest march in support of them. And then there was a another protest march about 
stopping Asian American hate, which I wasn't aware started. And I don't think most Asian Americans are aware that there is a hate movement against them that all started because of calling the CCP virus the China flu or the Wuhan flu or the China virus, all of which it is. I mean, Fauci can talk about the Brazilian strain, right? It's the China virus. That's not causing Asian American hate, okay? That's among the dumbest things I've ever heard. The only kinds of people who could believe that are the ones who would just accept it as true if the right sort of person told them it was true or if anyone mentioned that there was a study. Now, the concept of hate crimes is pretty flimsy to begin with. And of course, the definition is ever changing, just like it is with hate speech, right? We've seen these last couple of years virtually no increase in even what they're calling Asian American hate crimes. And again, if you go deep into the data on any of this stuff, you'll find out a lot of these definitional problems, a lot of miscategorization. But I was reading something this morning that the number of incidents rose year over year from 148 total in the country to 158. Now, are we to believe that these crimes these quote-unquote hate crimes are being committed by white supremacists? Are they even being committed by white people? Is there any indication anywhere that white people, that white Americans have suddenly turned on Asian Americans and ignited a wave of hate crime? Let's be clear about something. The greatest point of anti-Asian hatred in the country was probably around the time that FDR put them in internment camps. Wait, isn't FDR Bernie's guy? And Bernie is a Democrat, sort of, and an independent, sort of, and a Democratic Socialist, sort of, but really Bernie's just a dyed-in-the-wool communist and always has been. And isn't it interesting that Bernie doesn't get canceled and FDR doesn't get canceled for putting Asian Americans in internment camps? When are we going to apply the same standards? You know, I talked about this dichotomy in the Apocalypse Now episode, which is one of the essay episodes. You can scroll back for it. I think I released it in like, I don't know, June or July. But we have to read these articles like the one I read on Friday, where that unrepentant vicious, genocidal, racist Damon Young wrote the article Whiteness is a Pandemic. And according to him, 
everything that's happening now has its roots in America's history of slavery. And if he is right about that, it would not be the way that he is intending. There is some element of truth to that. This all does have its roots in that. Especially in the aspect of this was caused by collectivist racists in the Democrat Party. Damon Young happens to be one of those people. He pretends he's not and he pretends he can't be because of his skin color. He's literally using his skin color to protect him from accusations of how just disgustingly, grotesquely, maliciously racist he is. But of course, this is so prevalent in the Democrat Party and on the left and in the old guard. In public corporations, in social media, in entertainment, this is so prevalent, this mindset that none of them ever care when the other ones do it. They will get very mad if you disagree with them politically, but you can be as racist as you want to be so long as you are still on the team. That's kind of what the team does. They only reject you when you're really, really caught so that they don't get caught. They're on board with the rest of it. But just up till about last year, the Democrats didn't seem to care too much about Asian Americans. They didn't care when Asian Americans were discriminated against in terms of college admissions at places like Harvard. They conveniently group Asians in with white people under many of their definitions of the people of color construct. They completely deny the fact that Asian Americans actually earn more than white Americans by the same ridiculous, irrelevant statistical measures that they use to say that women earn less than men and that uh, black and Hispanic people earn less than white people. They always forget to mention the Asian part. Really, Asians are like a, uh, a wild card for them. Like they're playing Uno and they can just make it whatever they want. And this makes sense because this is how they use their claims of racism, too. When it benefits them, they say it. They claim it. If it doesn't benefit them, oh, that was Republicans. That was, you know, those Trump people, those Q people, those maggots, right? Maggots. That's what they call people. That's not a joke either. But now they've basically got it set up so that... We assume that anti-Asian American racism is one of the pressing issues of our day, and we need to rally around that in a Black Lives Matter sort of communist, violent way, or else, you know, we're the kinds of people who will just allow racism to persist. Not like Democrats, <laughs> not like the party that started the KKK and had Jim Crow 
and had Asians in internment camps and now runs all urban centers with high, poor, black and Hispanic urban populations. Not like that party. Not like that party that sets up voter fraud so that those people can never actually represent their own vote. Not like that party. That's the good party and the not racist party. And they're definitely the party that tells you the truth about their moral goodness and their total lack of racism, as does the state media that always seems to somehow find a way to agree with them. NBC News today wrote an article slurpingly titled What a Hurting Community Says It Needs from Its Asian American Vice President. What? How long ago was Kamala Harris potentially the first black woman president? Isn't that actually what we used to hear? Is this because that side of her family were the slave owners in Jamaica? Also true. You can look it up. Is she just disavowing that part now? Now she's just an Asian American woman because she is part Indian. Hey, no offense, Indians. I know you're in Asia. But that's not what anybody means when they say Asian. And we all know it. Okay? Russia's in Asia too. It doesn't make Russians Asian Americans. Unless it fucking does. And then you better stop talking about Vladimir Putin, CNN, because that's racist. Do you think that this doesn't have broader meaning that they're not trying to do the next step? They're making it so saying concentration camps are bad is racist. We, we can't have a group of protesters protesting against the CCP and saying, fuck the CCP without counter-protesters right across the street telling them to stop Asian-American hate. That's where we are now. You don't think these movements are complicit with Nazi-style global communism? What in the world could this be about other than that? It's certainly not true that America now hates Asians. That just isn't true. We don't even have to entertain a notion that silly. And we especially don't have to do it in conversation with the very same people that use outcomes of collectives to justify they're calling things racist in the first place because Asian Americans by and large have better outcomes than even white Americans across all those measures. There is literally nothing these people do 
that makes sense that they can legitimately explain and that they actually stick to as a matter of principle. All of this stuff, all of it is just political expediency. That's all they care about. And it couldn't possibly be more obvious now that it's changing over to protecting China. And I'm not talking about the Chinese people, obviously, because they're the ones who suffer the most under the CCP, as do people from all around that region, countries that share borders with China, the island nations that China poses a constant threat to. If we can't criticize the CCP without being called racist, then something is terribly wrong to the point where you need to realize that these people are just simply liars. This is the sort of ridiculous overreach that should expose the rest of their narratives about race. They are all founded on lies. Which is not to say that racism doesn't exist. I'm saying that their narrative about racism, who they find responsible, how they measure it, what they want in terms of solutions, All of that is nonsense. All of it is dishonest and none of it helps. Okay, if any of that stuff could have helped, it already would have. It doesn't because the Democrats are first liars, but second, terrible at this. Now, yesterday, Catherine Herridge tweeted in the afternoon Uh, More of the outer perimeter of fencing around the Capitol complex will be removed over the weekend. Acting Sergeant at Arms Timothy Blodgett told members and staffers in an email today. I'm guessing, you know, I thought she tweeted this yesterday, but it seems to me like this might have been tweeted on Friday. Blodgett said USCP told him, quote, there does not exist a known credible threat against Congress or the Capitol complex that warrants the temporary security fencing, end quote. The inner perimeter around the Capitol itself will remain, quote, to make necessary security repairs to the Capitol building, he said. Well, I wonder what those security repairs are that we had never heard about before. And I wonder why we need a security perimeter for that with no known credible threats anywhere. But, hey, I'm stupid and crazy. Now, you may have missed it on Saturday, but according to I think it was Newsweek. Yeah, it was Newsweek. On March 20th, we had another massive Q riot. In the Capitol. I mean, it didn't happen, of course, and neither did any of the other ones they've pretended were going to happen. But that is what they said. They cited Ken. (laughs) Their source was Ken. And Ken said that on March 20th, there was going to be another inauguration. I guess we missed it again. Rats. I was really looking forward to that one. 
So that current narrative to get things passed and done their way is falling apart as well. And I'm sure that they're very sad about that because one thing it's clear they love are mass violence incidents because then they can use them as scare tactics to pass more of the dumb, terrible nonsense that they want, like taking away people's guns. We are right now, as I record this, and by the way, I'm sorry this was late today. I had work being done in my house. It was loud. Nobody wants to hear that. Trust me, it's worse for me. I didn't want to hear it, but I had to listen to grinding grout for seven hours. But right now, there's a live shooter incident happening in Boulder, Colorado. It is amazing, isn't it? How many mass shooting incidents, how many scary shooting incidents we have under Democrat presidents and how much press they get for how scary they are. You would think that these incidents constantly happening with Democrats in the position of fake president would maybe make someone in the media think, huh, that's strange. I wonder if I can get to the bottom of that. But they don't. I wonder how many more of these events we might see in the lead up to them trying to further kill the Second Amendment. My guess is that it may be quite a few. Now, let's talk about the border. Near the end of last week, we heard about a Biden plan to spend $86 million putting illegal immigrants into hotels. Now, how many illegal immigrants? 1,200. 1,200 illegal immigrants will have hotel rooms courtesy of the American taxpayer at the price of $71,666 per immigrant. Now, I've said this on the podcast before, but my industry, the one where I made the bulk of my income year after year and have for 15 years, was shut down completely in California. I didn't make $71,666 last year. And, you know, that sucks for me. I'm not happy about it, but so many people obviously have it so, so, so much worse than me. So I don't mean to sound like I'm complaining, but, and I also don't mean to sound like I would be the first in line to get that $71,666. I would just like for the economy to be open so that people can make money the normal way. But the idea that they're spending... $71,666 to put an illegal immigrant that they invited here to put them up in a hotel room while there are Americans losing their homes and unable to pay rent and their kids can't go to school and they don't have jobs anymore because their Democrat state destroyed their jobs. And this is awful. I don't even really understand what exactly it is that always leads them to want to put people into hotels. I mean, they did this with the homeless last year, and I have a feeling it was to register them all to vote 
and then get their ballots. But how are we spending so many millions of dollars to house, to buy tents for, to build projects for, to build detention facilities for, and to give hotel rooms to illegal immigrants and homeless people. This isn't a lack of compassion on my part. It's an example of absolutely terrible government. This government does not take care of its own citizens, its own working people. It doesn't. It takes away their jobs. It makes it impossible for them to earn. And then it gives them this disgraceful slap in the face every time they have to hear that $72,000 a person is going to be spent to give an illegal immigrant a hotel room or a homeless person a hotel room. This is only corruption. Now, I don't know all of the hotels down by the border, but I got to think that there's at least a few Motel 6s or even places that are slight downgrades from that. But they have a, a manageable bed and running water and a shower. How many nights are they going to stay there? A place is what, 40, 50 bucks like that? 30, 40, 50 bucks a night, 70 bucks a night. Let's say that each room is exactly $71 and 67 cents a night. That means they'd have to be there a thousand nights if the money was just going to the hotels. So what are they doing? Setting up a program, their own new bureaucracy to manage the difficult task of putting illegal immigrants in hotels? And then what? You like just give them their room key and say, hey, take it easy. I hope you sleep well. Are these hotels going to have armed security at them? Are they going to have immigration agents there? Or are we just putting people in hotels for $72,000 a night and letting them go wherever they want? But, Hotels sound awfully nice, don't they? So that all the commies out there can be like, oh, yeah, well, I know that the immigrant crisis is very bad, but the administration's working hard to give people nice hotel rooms. And they think that that's like an appropriate comfort. That means that they are now compassionate. And as long as they sound compassionate, end of story, they're good. No more explanation is necessary. And then they can just say that and and avoid the conversation about the detention centers where they actually have kids in cages. Again, just like when Obama was president. Remember how the media tried to blame that all on Trump? Trump stopped it. If that's not obvious, if the truth of that isn't obvious to people now, then you literally are not thinking. I tried to have this conversation with people last year about why 
Trump had changed policies at the border. And of course, they all thought that Trump is racist. So it's very offensive that anyone would defend him. But here you go. Joe Biden has kids in cages packed in like sardines under blankets that look like they're made out of aluminum foil. I don't know what those are. I'm sure that in some way they're probably blankets. But just kid, next kid, next kid, next kid, next kid. And they're all in these little plastic enclosures, maybe for COVID. If you'll recall, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC herself, called these conditions concentration camps when everyone was claiming this was happening under Trump. Are they concentration camps now? AOC, are you telling me that Joe Biden and Asian American female fake vice president Kamala Harris have a system of concentration camps running in the United States right now? Is that what you'd like us to believe? Because it wasn't Trump that did that. And the situation is right back to being as bad as it was under Obama. So what are we to think here? Now, I don't think that calling those concentration camps does anyone any good. It's not accurate. It's intentionally inflammatory. And I won't use that to describe this situation. The situation is bad enough just in its own description without having to call it a concentration camp. But AOC did that. Democrats did that. The media did that. Obama's responsible for this. Biden is responsible for this. Globalists are responsible for this. And the cartels are responsible for this. That's who's responsible for it. Not Donald Trump. And so this became a more real discussion to a lot of people today as pictures actually came out of these facilities. And you can see the kids packed right in there. If you haven't seen the pictures, they're in the info stream from this morning. Uh, T.me slash I'm your moderator. You can go there on Telegram. Scroll up. The pictures are there. But Project Veritas has also been releasing a bunch of stuff from the borders. And that's a big deal because Project Veritas last week had a court decision go in their favor against the New York Times that now opens the New York Times up for discovery. And all of this was based on the fact that New York Times reporters were trying to denigrate Project Veritas as an organization in order to quote unquote debunk the videos last year where Project Veritas caught people associated with Ilhan Omar paying for ballots, doing ballot harvesting and paying for ballots in Minneapolis. That video was real. People really were doing that. Veritas did not lie. The New York Times lied about Project Veritas, about its political point of view, and about its history. And Project Veritas can prove that. And the judge just allowed this case to go forward. The New York Times was not able 
to get rid of this case. That should be a warning shot to every single media organization that wants to come out and, and try to call stuff like this conspiracy theory. Because now the seal is broken and awesome for Project Veritas for doing this. You know, I hope that they win their case because they deserve to. But even the fact that news organizations have to take a second glance at stuff like this now without using their normal lie and deny strategy, this makes it so that they have to spin it instead. They can't deny the underlying event. So what they have to do is try to recontextualize it in a way that people will accept or at least be able to defend and brush off. They need to give the messaging out to all of their communist Joe Biden voters so that those people can say one thing that makes it sound like the whole situation is somehow in dispute and then they can ignore it from there on. And of course, that's exactly what Jen Psaki tried to do today. In my time that I was delaying recording the show because of grout noise, I actually subjected myself to the full duration of the Jen Psaki press conference. And she got asked about a bunch of these things. And her responses were crazy. I mean, aside from the fact that she's a communist and I don't like any of her politics, she's actually just objectively very, very, very bad at her job. Everything she says is... Circular language, circular logic. She doesn't answer questions. She's rude and dismissive of reporters who ask her anything but softballs. She's very, very bad at her job to the point where I think that her ineptitude is eventually going to expose this agenda to lots of Biden voters who see her talk. And who understand that she can't answer any questions. At one point today, she was asked about what they were doing with all these children. And she was actually asked quite a lot about when people are going to be able to get in there and take pictures. When is the media going to be allowed in there to cover it? And of course, they always say it's COVID or it's always uh, DHS or HHS. It's never the administration, even though the administration is in charge. At one point, one of the reporters asked, well, can we at least get pictures? Does the administration have pictures? And Jen Psaki, of course, said that she was working very hard on transparency, but they just need to get the pictures from the other agencies. And when those agencies are ready to let the pictures out, then the press can see them. And the reporter asked, but yeah, you are in control of those agencies. Just have them give you the pictures, and then you can give us the pictures. How about that? And of course, that's a no, too. We can't have any pictures coming out, and we can't have Biden down there, because then everybody might realize that the situation is real. And if they don't put out their own pics, they can look to organizations like the New York Times and the Washington Post to go down there, and cover it as lightly and as kindly as possible. And then they're going to call everyone else a conspiracy theorist. People who are posting the real pictures 
are going to be called conspiracy theorists for the first couple days. Communists will have doubts about the veracity of what anyone else says, and they'll just go on. Now, again, I hope those news organizations will take this as a warning shot and stop the behavior. I don't have confidence that they will. I think that as a last resort in a situation like this, where spinning it isn't going to work, once those pictures come out, who knows? Maybe they will try the conspiracy theory thing and think the lawsuit is not as harmful. They obviously don't care about their reputation for truth. If they did, they wouldn't be the paper that they currently are. So it's really just a a cold-blooded assessment of how much the brand will be harmed in the eyes of the brand's audience and how much it'll cost. But so Psaki, as she always does, wrap that up by saying that, of course, they are totally committed to transparency. It just might take another one or two or seven weeks or two years or never. But eventually they're going to be completely transparent as soon as everybody forgets. And the complete lie of the situation is 100 percent attached to the main central narrative. Then. All the transparency you want. So she was asked about the kids and her response was. Jaw dropping. Here it is. Children presenting at our border who are fleeing violence, fleeing prosecution, fleeing terrible situations are not a crisis. Like she basically played the you're being mean to children if you call this a crisis card. As if the crisis is being blamed on the children. No, Jen Psaki, the crisis is you, okay? That's how the crisis started. It doesn't offend the children to call it a crisis. By the way, I'm not sure how many of these children are up there fleeing prosecution. I mean, maybe that was Freudian because there are certainly plenty of people flooding across the border who are fleeing prosecution. I imagine that she probably meant to say or was trying to say, or maybe she just thinks they're the same word, but persecution, because fleeing persecution is one of the typical answers for when they're trying to explain why everyone who says the word asylum needs to be admitted into the United States. One of their things that they always say is fleeing persecution. Now, it's possible that a child was being persecuted, although it's hard to imagine for what. And then the fact that the child would understand that they were being persecuted and then have the wherewithal to flee that persecution. So that's not generally a thing that a child crosses three countries to do. But sure. Let's give it to Jen Psaki. I mean, nothing she says makes sense. So who's to say? But she also said that they're fleeing violence and fleeing terrible situations. Now, 
I'm sure that some of the people coming across the border are genuinely doing that. Again, I don't know that children have the capacity to flee. Okay? We're talking about unaccompanied children here. I'm not sure they're fleers as much as they are recycled golden tickets for cartel coyotes who are bringing them across the border and then sending them back and then bringing them across with another person again so that they seem like families and then families have to be treated a certain way. But again, she didn't do anything, anything at all to answer the question. She actually said, our focus is on expediting processing at the border and getting the children to shelters and then to homes, right? Because, of course, they're staying. They're going to live here. And then, of course, we need to reunite their parents with them, but not by sending the kid back, by bringing the parents over. Very complicated operation here. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand how this all works out and how it might benefit certain people. Very, very mysterious. But she was answering this in the context of, hey, doesn't this like present a COVID problem for you? No. They're worried about making sure that they're providing equity (laughs) to people who aren't from the country. That's the number one concern. Watching a Jen Psaki press conference is just like exercising to figure out how hard you're able to say what. It's like you're just practicing saying what for an hour in different creative ways that express shock or anger or hilarity. She actually got asked once today about Rachel Levine in Pennsylvania. And now Rachel Levine used to be, I think his name was Richard Levine. And this trans woman is the, or was the director of public health in Pennsylvania and is now being appointed a high up position in the federal government because she did such a good job in Pennsylvania, except, of course, that Pennsylvania was one of the states where sick people were put into nursing homes. And it turns out that Rachel Levine actually took her own parent out of the nursing home when this policy started. I wonder if she, like, maybe had an inkling that people might die. And again, there were multiple states that did this. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, Michigan, and California. I'm kind of guessing that there might be more Democrat states with severe nursing home issues who probably just employed a different method to achieve the same result. Just like they did with the different voting laws from state to state, by the way. But Rachel Levine oversaw the insertion of sick COVID patients into nursing homes and took her mother out. That is a very, very big scandal. 
one that matters, one that should make Joe Biden immediately rescind her nomination for the position. Joe Biden, of course, has no idea who he nominated for anything. But it should make her step down from her nomination. It won't. But Psaki's answer. I mean, first of all, she had no idea what the situation is, or at least she expressed as much. But she said, it doesn't sound to me like her scenario is similar to the scenario in New York. Yet is. It's just bad in different ways. The scenarios couldn't be more similar. This is all just another glaring example of how utterly incompetent these people are and how immoral and utterly deranged. So switching subjects without a segue. Last night, HBO began showing their six part documentary series called Q into the storm, and they dropped two parts last night, two more this coming Sunday. And then two more the Sunday after that. So it's not doing like a six-week run. It's just a three-week run, two each night. So I watched them both, and there wasn't a major takeaway for me. I was primarily interested in watching just to see how the documentarian would handle it and how much they would be catering to a mainstream agenda, how much they might actually try to educate people on what Q actually is. And I think that I was relatively satisfied with the position they're taking. I mean, obviously I have plenty of disagreements with how it's portraying people, but in terms of something that you're going to feed to communists, like this actually has the potential to maybe wake them up a little bit, either by convincing them that there's something that they should be looking at here because there is actually information with value in the Q movement. Uh, So maybe it'll do that, but hopefully it'll just even wake them up to be less angry at people because they'll see that what has been described to them by the mainstream media is not at all what's being described in this documentary except primarily for when they talk about the content of certain beliefs. Like the thing about eating babies. First of all, that phrase, that principle is overblown and it is not a necessary part of Q at all. It's kind of a a parallel topic or a subtopic But the truth or falsity of Q actually doesn't rely on that stuff at all. And there are plenty of people familiar with Q or even people who follow Q who have no interest in the other subject. It's just not necessary. But they even they even tried to like debunk that by saying that it's an old conspiracy that has been played out over generation after generation after generation going back thousands of years now. It's interesting, isn't it, that there could be this thousands of years long conspiracy theory that had no basis in reality? I mean, we know that cultures performed ritual human sacrifices, don't we? 
We know that there are cultures of cannibals. Is it really impossible to believe that a similar line of people, a similar segment of our society could actually be into that stuff and just keep it hidden relatively well by calling people conspiracy theorists? Or anti-Semites, I'm not even sure how that lines up. They're like, well, they also used it to talk about Jews. Yeah, okay, but you just named like 10 other examples that weren't Jews. So they're not talking about Jews. They're talking about a bunch of different people. But I'm not even trying to justify the validity of that because that's not something I know to be true. You know, I think that there's reason to be open to the fact that it might be based on evidence from, I mean, countless sources, right? There really are really evil people in the world. It's not difficult to imagine that they all wound up together, right? Narcissists and sociopaths and psychopaths will find each other and they will gravitate toward centers of population and centers of power. So in a field like politics, it wouldn't be surprising in the least for really, really evil people to rise up. Okay. We don't need to like call everything a conspiracy theory and dismiss it just because it can't be proven. Like we can admit that it can't be proven or that I don't believe for myself. It has been proven yet because I know that people would be like, I disagree. It can be proven and that's fine. The truth is we, there is, there is the Hunter Biden laptop. There is the Anthony Weiner laptop. And both of these things have just rampant evidence of inappropriate behavior with children. That's not something that's made up. It's true. Now, I will also say that that doesn't necessarily implicate any of the people that most QAnon followers believe are the people who do this stuff. Okay. I don't have a direct line to that. I haven't seen the end proof. So, you know, I have some level of agnosticism about it. And I think it's totally fine to be there. But the flip side is to completely deny this stuff just out of hand, like that couldn't happen. That's crazy. And so one of the other like annoying parts of the documentary was the constant reliance on the narrative by a guy named Will Summer, who writes about this stuff for the Daily Beast. Not well, by the way. And this guy named Jared Holt, who is like a writer for Right Wing Watch. If you approach the Q subject, assuming that everything is wrong, you will not understand enough to competently write about the subject. You know, we have people on there like that. Oh, that Travis View character that hosts like, QAnon Anonymous and his dumb buddies. I mean, these people are real stupid. They're real stupid. And they're very cocky about it, too, which is pretty strange. I mean, doing debunkings on Q, on Q posts, and on what Anons thought and got wrong is, again, just completely missing the point. And the more these writers and commentators focus on that stuff, the further they'll be away from contributing anything of value to the discussion or ever convincing someone that it's not true. So I don't know really what their goal is 
but they're not adding very much. Now, the documentary seems to focus so far on who might QB, and that question is irrelevant, but the likelihood that this is just some bored, deranged loser at home in the basement making this stuff up, it's very hard to pretend that that is true. And my hope, at least, is that this documentary will give people a little bit more insight, at least into why it is that people, reasonable people, can believe this stuff and can find Q valuable, which I guess is more important than any level of belief. You don't have to believe any of it. You can still understand that it opens the door to questions that needed to be answered about rampant corruption in our government and in our society. And it is unavoidable that that's true. Anons have dug through all this stuff, all right? Like their predictions and their opinions, you can throw all of that out. And I'm not saying you should because, you know, they work hard and some of them are very in tune with what's going on. And they know a certain thing about a certain subject, like flight patterns, for instance, of airplanes. They can watch the skies and they can give information about where the airplanes are overhead. That's a really interesting piece of news about the world that not a single commie out there or Obama or Romney, none of them know anything about that. Okay. They don't even understand how that could matter. Because their worldview is like barely larger than their house. It extends some of the way into Twitter, about an inch deep into Twitter and into Instagram, where they take pictures of their food, repeat slogans, and then decide who's evil, knowing full well it couldn't ever be them. But watching this stuff you have to remember that like this isn't made for people who are already awake to the corruption in the government and in the media and in our corporations etc it's not for those people it's for the people who still believe everything that the mainstream media says and it's actually good that this documentarian did not approach the subject in some way trying to mainstream Q or prove Q true because then it would be ignored. It would be easy to ignore. The documentary would get banned. No one would see it. And it would offend these people because they're not going to believe the claims. It's a multi-step process. You can't just throw this stuff in someone's face and have them believe it. You know, even if they looked at it. They have to, like, be open to it first. And then they have to have it explained. Then they have to do their own work on it. And then they have to wrestle with the mental and, and emotional part of being so severely wrong and so mean. Okay? And that's not an easy thing to do. That takes time. We don't need a documentary. And I say we, but, you know, because I think that Q is very interesting and it has levels of value. I don't consider myself an anon necessarily i mean i do dig about a bunch of things but 
I didn't come to any of these beliefs through Q. I didn't even start looking at Q until, I don't know, late last summer, perhaps, or maybe even early last fall. I think it was somewhere around September, like end of August, September. I remember a friend of mine and I had a conversation with it, and that was the beginning of September. I mean, I think I probably mentioned it before then, but I wasn't even looking at posts. So I didn't know about it. I didn't come to my opinions based on Q. I had my opinions. I know what the Q people say. And I also know from looking at the drops that they led people to figure out a lot of information about some of the most important subjects in the world. And so I'm fine with this approach for the documentary. I'm going to watch the rest of it. I didn't find it terribly exciting or interesting. I wasn't learning. But again, I'm not the target audience. All right. There's, you know, it's it's kind of cool to see like how strange Jim Watkins is. That part's interesting. And I don't mind the like the background on the chans and stuff, but the Gamergate stuff, all that is I mean, that's not necessary. Like there's no part of Q that needs that or the alt right or any of that. Like, yeah, some of those people were the first to see Q stuff because it existed in the same place, a place where they would see it. But again, there's nothing about Q that requires the existence of Gamergate or the alt-right or any of that. It only requires the infrastructure of a total free speech platform. That's it. If social media had ever been run the way we were told it would run, Q would be unnecessary because people would have already woken each other up just by the sharing of information at a rapid pace. The censorship is the only reason that 95% of this country doesn't believe in election fraud. All right? Election fraud is that obvious, that provable, and that overwhelming in the evidence. 95% of the country would know for a fact that the election was fraudulent if we had the free flow of information. In fact, they wouldn't have ever even thought Joe Biden had a chance if there was a free flow of information because the Hunter Biden laptop would have been viewed as fact. People would have shared the contents of it, including the fact that Joe Biden was intimately involved in all of the foreign business dealings and that he took creepy showers with his nine-year-old daughter. People would have known that stuff and nobody except commies, Obamis, Romneys and Maskeys would have even considered voting for him. But that's the problem with the Obamis and the Romneys. They think that they know everything, so they don't need to look at new information. They're happy to deny things because it serves their needs. And they don't even realize that the only reason the viewpoints they hold are assumed to be smart and proper and interesting is because they do not have an environment where they have to be subjected to the free flow of information.
They lie to each other. They deceive each other. They constantly pretend to believe things they do not pretend so that they can stay in the party of false decorum. They want to maintain their good standing in academia, in corporate life, whatever. They will all happily repeat the slogans because their lives are easy. The truth or falsity of what they say does not matter because they are privileged. They can make constantly wrong decisions and nothing bad happens to them. They could vote for Joe fucking Biden because they decided that their personal feelings about the way Donald Trump talks were the most important political issue for the country. And of course, this is what we get. So, yes, I hope it wakes up every single motherfucker out there as slow as it has to go because real life events are happening real fast. And pretty soon, some of these media hacks are going to wake up too, and they might be a little mad that their work that they really thought they were passionate about and good about, and they thought they were helping was actually used to institute all of this bullshit. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. And Joe Biden will never be president. Goodbye. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. 
On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab, and I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at imyourmoderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!